This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Magic and Madness by Circus of Power. Sleazy, bluesy, dirty. They're a biker band, you know what I mean? They're singing about yeah. drinking whiskey and tequila. And... Uh, it sounds like the riff from Legs by ZZ Top slowed down. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we are in part two of a two-part series that I like to call Jay's Teenage Years. Uh, Last week, we reviewed, based on a listener's suggestion, The Silent Majority by Life, Sex, and Death. And this week, this was a suggestion by you, Circus of Power, and their album Magic and Madness. Yeah, I don't want it to seem like I'm taking the show over with my taste. Only one of these was my pick. The other one yeah. was a, a, a legitimate listener pick. Well, what I do but is I, I I often send you an email and, or or text and say, hey, go give me give me like five suggestions for albums you want to review. Yeah. And when we got the life, sex, and death one, you sent me Circus of Power right away. And we're like, we're reviewing Circus of Power. And then I think yeah. we had a different album selected at first, and then you picked this one. When you told me the promise of the podcast two years ago, when when you started doing this, these two albums were on the top, very top of my mind. You were probably so we're, thinking of like Blur or something, and I was thinking of these two albums. <laughs> probably you were thinking of son of uh, Uncle Tupelo, and I was thinking of like Sex and Death and Search of Power. Well, we we each have our own paths that we journeyed <laughs> upon musically, and these were on your path, so. So I don't even have to ask you if you're familiar because you suggested the album. I was not familiar. I, I'd heard the name, but mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever listened to any Circus of Power uh, cool. prior to reviewing this record. So there you go. Cool. Uh, why don't we just do the history of the band, get everybody up to speed on this. History of the band. So Circus of Power formed in New York City in 1986. The original lineup was Alex Mitchell on vocals, Ricky Beck-Mailer on guitar, Gary Sunshine on bass, and Ryan Mailer, or I mean Mahler, I guess, on drums. Um, eventually, uh, in the history, a couple albums in, Sunshine would move to guitar and they added a bassist named Zowie. No other name, just Zowie. Hmm. Then Zowie would leave and re- be replaced by Mark Frappier. Ryan Mailer, the drummer, was replaced by Victor Indrizio. And that's for this album that we're speaking of with regards to the changes. So the first album came out in 1988 on RCA. It was self-titled. The second album, Still Alive, was released in 1989 on RCA. Third album, Vices, released in 1990 on RCA. They relocated from New York to L.A. and signed to Columbia Records in 1991 which probably seemed like a great idea in 91 and then in September of 91 Nirvana released their album Nevermind and uh, Magic and Madness was released in February of 1993 in Columbia and then the band broke up shortly thereafter uh, 95 they played reunion shows in 2006 and 2009 
But as a band, they have not released any new material. Um, Gary Sunshine recorded with the band New York Loose and the Silos. And he's also done some solo work. Alex Mitchell has fronted Uncle Max's Cosmic Band and is writing a book called Life as a Phantom Kmart Kmart Horse. Wait, wait, this is a long title. Life is a Phantom Kmart Horse Starting Up in the Middle of the Night. That is the name of Alex Mitchell's book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what other members of the band did, but that is... Yeah. It and if you would like to request a review like Jay did, although Jay did not actually request, he just told me we we're reviewing this. Visit our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. So, Jay, do you have a story that goes along with Circus of Power like you did with Life, Sex, and Death? No, not nearly as interesting. I, I, I never saw this band live. Um, I heard about them the first record. Um, I got a, a dub dub the cassette back before there was mp3 trading um we still pirated stealing music. music yeah this i think this is news to the record industry but music pirating has been going on for a very long time yeah i bought maybe three actual cassette tapes in my entire life all the rest of them i copied from other people news flash um so i i i copied the first record um from a friend loved it um and then, uh, oh, one of the cool things about the band is that they're featured in the movie The Burbs. Remember that movie with Tom Hanks? Yes. There go uh, the when, goddamn brownies. Yeah. When the neighbor, Ricky, is, uh, he's outside hanging on the porch. And to piss off the neighbors, he puts on it, like brings a stereo out and cranks it. And he plays, uh, I believe it's Motor. Um, he plays Jet Boy and he plays uh, Rick's Power at some point, too. That was one of the, one of their claim to fames. That's a good claim to fame. That, um, that's all I got. All right. Well, since you suggested this album, that means I get to start first. Yes. Yes. So I was uh, conflicted the first time I listened to this album because I really liked parts of it and I really disliked parts of it. And I'll, I'll tell you hmm. what I really liked. Um, the first three songs, they start out... And they kind of reminded me of the Corrosion of Conformity album that we had reviewed mm-hmm. that was a suggestion of yours. It has this, like, metal but with a blues southern rock influence that I really like. Uh, Swamp Devil starts it out. It almost has, like, a Tesla feel. Like, I felt like Frank Hannon was playing a little bit on that song. And then they, got, it goes in... What? It's got that slide all over it. Yeah, it's got the... It's the, it's the slide.
And then it uh, goes into Evil Woman, which seriously could have been written in like 1978. Like it has that classic rock feel. Then it goes into Heaven and Hell, which almost feels like a missing like Caius song. Has this like desert rock uh, sound to it, uh, you know, dark and sludgy and. But then it gets into a couple songs which I didn't really care for. One is Circles. It, Circles did not do anything for me. Uh, it's really? It's quieter, it's mellow, it's like introspective, and it doesn't show off the guitar playing the way that the first three songs do. Um, and then there's Poison Girl, which is a fine song. I don't know if you heard this. Maybe this is just me. Maybe this is just I listened to too much of this band, but uh, it sounded like the riff from Legs by ZZ Top slowed down. <laughs> yeah. Am I crazy? Okay. So then it goes into Shine, which I really like, and it also helps that Ian, I believe that's Ian Asbury yep. shows up and is singing on that song. Okay, you add Ian Asbury to anything, and yeah. I'm going to pretty much like it. I like, in terms of rock vocals, Ian mm-hmm. Asbury's in like my top five of all time. Mm-hmm. I could listen to that guy sing anything. Um, Dreams Tonight is fine. It doesn't do anything. And then you get into Mama Tequila, which is just like kind of a perfect bluesy metal rock song with, you know, kind of this like biker. I don't know. It's it's really like got this attitude and swagger that's really cool. Roses I didn't really care for. Waiting for the Wizard. I, I, I like again. It has like a mix of like blues and like Sunset Strip glam rock to it. Mm-hmm. And the, the the last two songs I liked out of my head, but I I did not like Slip Away. So I'm, I was like I got through this record and I was like wow I like like the songs that I can clearly hear the southern rock sleazy bluesy dirty guitar playing those songs really connected with me and i don't like i really dislike some of the stuff that's more straightforward um that that just doesn't it doesn't have that attitude i I really like the attitude that the band has yeah in the songs that i mentioned um and and like i said it reminds me a, a lot of that corrosion of conformity album that we we reviewed it has like elements of like I mentioned Caius and Clutch, 
um, some of the it almost it, that that bluesy, dirty element makes them sound like like rat with a little bit of soul is mm. is a way that I could describe this the sleaze element because they're not sleazy in the in the way that like a lot of '80s glam and hair metal bands were. It's just kind of it's you just feel like there's like this muck on the on yeah. the on the recording. Um, and I like that they allow the songs to breathe. Like I know we we get on band sometimes for playing, letting the songs go too long, yeah. but they let these songs go like five and six minutes, at the beginning of the album, and they let the guitars you know churn the riffs and and do some nice doubling and do some soloing and I didn't I didn't bother me. It didn't the length of the album didn't bother me. Yeah, I was so, gonna ask you about that because that was one of the things that struck me listening to it now is I didn't realize how long these songs were, and I was I was curious to see if that bo- was gonna bother you or not. Not on the songs that I liked, which yeah. was the the majority. Of, I mean, I mentioned you know quite a few of the songs, but there was only only really two songs that I actively disliked, which were "Circles" and "Slip Away." Um, <laughs> now you're laughing at That's that. So Why are you laughing funny. at that? Are those are those two songs that you like? No, well, yeah, I like the whole album. There's not a song here I don't like. Um, okay. Uh, I, 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 so the evolution of the band, I think, is important to note. Um, the first two, well, really, the first three records. The second one's just a EP. The first three records are pretty similar. I mean, they're really in the ACDC, straightforward, you know, one tempo. Uh, you know, no bells and whistles, just you know, rock and roll. This album goes in two different directions, which I think is me, which is what makes it really interesting. One direction is the one that you really responded to, which is the this really heavy. I mean, the guitars are just so thick and big on this album. It's mm-hmm. One of the my favorite guitar sounds on any record ever. It's almost it's to the point where the guitars eat the bass and the drums sometimes, but in the best possible way. Like it's not a bad thing that that's happening. <laughs> um, you know, you, you can you can even if you try really hard, sometimes you cannot hear the bass. It's just buried in, and it's not because the music's lacking in in bass frequency. It's just because the guitars are just devouring everything. So there's there's those songs where, like you said, it's kind of. Um, I think they were taken a little bit under Gary Cantrell's wing uh, in the oh. making of this record. I know he appears in the Heaven and Hell video. If you look that up on YouTube, um, he's, he's uh, in the video, and I think he may play on the uh, on the song or sing on the song. And uh, I, th- they were one of the bands from that sort of you know pop metal scene that they had a chance of making the transition and I think you know a band like Allison Chains either being friends with or fine with them and sort of you know I don't know if they toured together or whatever but they were essentially given a shot to sort of make the transition and they had some aspects of the, to them that could have done it so I think those songs um, those heavier songs um, were them you know, headed in that direction, being a little mm-hmm. bit more experimental, being a little bit more uh, all metal, being, you know, darker. Um, 
Then there's this other side of the album, which is songs like Circles and Dreams Tonight and um, Slip Away and Black Roses, which are way more introspective, like even more introspective than anything they had done on the, on the previous albums. In fact, they had never, I don't think they had ever written anything even close to anything like that. Like they had never even written a, a ballad, you know, in the time of, they were you know, making major records when power ballads were huge and they weren't writing ballads. You know, they were basically right. writing straight ahead rock songs. So this is a, it was sort of an interesting twist in two different directions all put together on one record. I, I kind of appreciate the the more introspective stuff. Um, I like the way that it's produced. I like the way that um, on a song like Black Roses, which is essentially kind of a ballad, it's still played on electric guitar and like brutally heavy. that dichotomy of it, it kind of being a ballad but it's not wimpy um and then the songs where they uh you know to turn on the volume a little bit like slip away i don't know i just find that there's a simplicity to the to the melodies and stuff that i just really really responded to and they just seem like very effortless and genuine and um i just as part of the overall album i i, I really enjoyed that so uh, you know obviously i like both sides of it it's just a it's another one of those snapshots in time where, like I said, you know, this band, I think this album was very much an attempt to try to turn the corner and to, to be in more of an alternative band. And they even got, you know, sort of the, uh, the, some of the right people involved uh, to do it. Uh, but obviously it didn't work. <laughs> and um, a lot of bands tried to do that. A lot of bands in the 90s that were coming out of the 80s that were the hair and glam they they made you know for better or worse attempts at adapting a grunge sound which this band mm-hmm. didn't i think what this band was they tried to make a they tried to take a more traditional just r- hard rock approach yeah which i think ultimately works it wasn't you know a financially successful decision they didn't sell two million, three million albums or anything like that. But it's it, in terms of a an approach to the material, I think it was successful. I, mean, I know that other bands like Faster Pussycat tried to become Marilyn Manson and did like industrial sound, and that didn't work. That completely wrecked that band. And other bands, yeah. you know, like tried to, you know, weren't made ultraphobic and you know tried to make a grunge record, and that was a disaster. Um, I mean, really, the only band that sort of 
survived that whole era was really Bon Jovi because Bon Jovi basically turned into like Bruce Springsteen in the in the 90s not Bruce Springsteen but like they they streamlined yeah. their approach and got haircuts um, yeah and then they turned country yeah and they turned <laughs> but they country they kept they kept they, they found their they moved with their audience as their audience moved they were smart enough to know how to move with them right they that, didn't try to appeal to a new group of people they just yeah like you said they moved as the audience started to age they sort of said well this is what they're listening to now they're right, not listening right. to grunge we're not gonna try to appeal to the 20 year olds listening to grunge we're gonna try to appeal to the same people that are listening to us but are their tastes are maturing a little bit yeah which is yeah and i think one of the things that struck me i think musically this band this album had dance fit in with a lot of those other bands i think lyrically though i mean they're they're a biker band you know what i mean they're singing about yeah. drinking whiskey and tequila and you know, slutty girls and evil woman, poison girl, mama tequila, <laughs> you know, classic rock things, but I mean, fully genuine, like none of it comes off as contrived. I mean, if you've ever seen these guys, they're not the prettiest dudes in the world. I mean, <laughs> they wear, you know, t- old torn up jeans and basically, you know, play hard rock and metal and, you know, they're not the prettiest guys in the world. So like lyrically, like it makes sense, you know, they're, what they're singing about and i'm sure they all own motorcycles and like it all comes together but in terms of when this record came out lyrically that wasn't the theme of what people were singing about and i think that was probably one of the biggest you know detriments to them able to do something um maybe if they went heavier you know i think of um corrosion for me you know it's a little bit it's further towards like metal having some thrash sort of aspects mm-hmm. to it which is right doesn't uh, maybe if they would head in that direction but then i would start to think it, it, it would be more contrived you know this is it's more of a comfortable trans transformation from what the early records are it's just like them being a little bit more sophisticated in terms of songwriting and just thickening up the sound and it doesn't it's not like they totally reinvented themselves um one of the things i liked about the record was uh revisiting it was the tempos and i think that's maybe why some of the songs are on the long side is that other than out of my head and maybe dreams tonight they're all pretty slow yeah it's like mid-tempo to slow for most of the record yeah but it which really, when you're playing this style you can kind of get away with that yeah like it's really a good compliment to the guitar tone because you can just dig into the riffs and just you know, they just grab you. You kind of just nod your head and just, I don't know, absorb it. Um, and actually, Out of My Head, which is probably the fastest song on the record, I really appreciate that song now because when I broke it down, it basically, it's a punk rock song. Don't 
but them kind of doing, you know, like a Sex Pistols song or something. But they just slow it down enough so that the riff, it just got more meat to it. Like you can comprehend it and appreciate it. Whereas I think if a punk band could play that song, they would up tempo a little bit and sort of the mm-hmm. riff would become a little bit more sloppy and just you would lose some of the some of the chord changes and stuff. But they kind of keep it within their comfort zone. And I think you end up with a, you know, just a fun, upbeat, punks, punkish song that still is musical, which I appreciate. Well, I think the thing that's disappointing is that you know, you mentioned that this was sort of a, a new sound and, and they were evolving at this point. I would have liked to have heard where this was going to go. You know, mm-hmm. I would have liked to hear the full transition to say, you know, those more bluesy, you know, dirty Southern rock influenced songs. And maybe they would have taken that even further. And, you know, I think they could have, mm-hmm. if they had stayed together and, and, dealt with the lean years in the late nineties, I think they could have, you know, survived that as a band. Yep. Might've had to, re- you know, replace a member here or there as is usually happens, but it's entirely possible they could have survived that and then come out and kind of been in the same position that not Bon Jovi and Aerosmith level, but they could have maintained a core audience and then continued. Cause this is a band that could be looked at as, if they, you know, if the right people are listening to them as like a, a forerunner to like Queens of the Stone Age with those riffs and yep. stuff like that. Yep. So, yeah, I've always thought that. And it's unfortunate that, uh, yeah, they couldn't have figured out a way to, because it's really just, you know, when you break it down, it's really just Gary Sunshine and Alex Mitchell. I mean, that's the band. You know, they filled in other guys, but those are the two, the combination of those two guys together mm-hmm. is what made the band. And it's a shame that they couldn't have figured out a way to, keep it going because I think like you said they could have potentially seen light at the other end of the tunnel they kept evolving the band and kind of stayed in the heavy bluesy area when you know Queens of the Stone Age happened and there's been a whole slew of bands after that of this um, this new sort of death rock influenced bluesy rap, classic rock metal stuff that's happened it yeah. fit right in with that without a problem and uh, even lyrically it's all you know, right on par. It's not that different. So kind of a shame. Uh, but, uh, you know, Gary Sunshine, Sunshine went on and did the New York Loose album, which is one I'd like to do on the show sometime, um, which is kind of funny because it's, it's very different from this. But it's still, it's got this, in the same way, I think what he brings to the band, which is this level of sophistication in terms of songwriting and also just how to layer guitar parts together and stuff that makes things special i don't know it's it's all over this record um and i think it's on that new this record as well i think it's a pretty talented guy in terms of at least being a member of a band i don't know um and they, another new thing blues has a full length yeah you're the rat uh, okay came on a couple years after this another thing i really liked about this record i want to get your thoughts on it was you know they do really cool thing with the verses where they don't they don't always do the palm mute you know, sort of play the riff, then palm mute the riff, and then you know, play a riff open for the chorus. They, the verses usually have, you know, a little bit more going on in terms of, like, what the guitar part is and how they're singing over it, But mm-hmm. the th- which I like. But the thing that's really cool is the pre-chorus is on almost all of these songs is really where the hook is, and it's usually the strongest part of the song. 
but then the chorus is usually very simple like you know they'll just say the whatever the song you know the song title is they'll basically just say it once and it's this really interesting use of a pre-course to kind of build up to this point where when you get to the chorus all you have to really do at that point it's like you've got the chord change in there you've got the hook you just kind of deliver the line and then you go back to you know back to the verse again and they i noticed that formula i use it through the whole record um i kind of liked it but then i was thinking well maybe that's why it was more successful like they didn't write a big you know there's definitely not a chords. huge hooky chorus yeah but there's these cool chord changes, you know what I mean? These cool chord changes and stuff that happen and as pre-choruses that, that really stuck out, stood out to me. And I, I guess in my head, I always thought of those parts as the chorus, but when I've analyzed it now, Gomez like, no, that's not the chorus. That's just like a change, like pre-chorus or like a second part of the verse. Um, right. It wasn't, it wasn't the chorus at all. Well, I don't have to ask you what your rating is. You're at an album. I'm also at an album. I'm just at a shorter album because of the few yeah. songs that I was not um, in favor of. But I, I I do agree that this is a really good album and that I especially did the first three songs right out the bat. I mean, they're just, if you don't like those three, just turn off the record and go do something else. But I, <laughs> I really think that those, if you're into a lot of the bands that we've mentioned you know, it's a wide array. It's it's from the harder metal side, and then also from like the desert rock side, and a little bit from the glam and hair metal. I think you can find everybody who listens to those disparate groups that don't always necessarily cross over. They can find something in in this band, and, and in, especially in the first couple songs that will hook you in. Another, I mentioned, you know, Coc and Clutch and Caius, a couple other, and then Ian Asbury's on this album so the cult comes up in terms of a band that has some similar sounds um but one that we reviewed earlier uh actually it was the first season it's a grunt truck i was hearing a little yeah they toured with grunt truck on this album okay i remember i remember there was something that was yeah about those bands but being I together grunt truck it was either a co-headlining tour or grunt truck opened for them on this record i remember they played uh Flashes in Lakewood. I think I was nice. in high school. Yeah, so like yep. I said, I mean, that's, uh, you know, they sort of, they were on the right bills. I mean, they were touring run truck and working with Jerry Cantrell and, you know. They're definitely they trying to make the crossover yeah. to uh, to a, a more, to a less hair glam audience, to a more, I guess you'd say just straight ahead rock audience. But fortunately that didn't happen, so. Yep. But we're happy to break this out and, and expose it to people because it's a pretty cool record. So if uh, if you like what you heard on this episode, feel free to head on over and leave us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And of course, feel free to visit our request a review page if you want to request a review for the 2013 season. We're already uh, we're more than uh, well, we're six in. So what's six of 25, Jay? What's the percentage on that? Would <laughs> you punch? Do that math real fast for me. Isn't that a fifth? Well, five of 25 is a fifth, so we're actually more than a fifth. I'm rounding. Yeah, it's like it's like 22% we're filled gonna, up. We're, we're going to sprain our brains. Our brains are not built Both in have strokes of... and fall over on our desks. Yeah. And with that, we're not going to leave. Yeah. 
everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. Don't care.